Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I am your host, Howard Sides. Uh, today we're continuing, uh, this will be part two, of a study to a- uh, answer the question. We're in the middle of our study of the book of Revelation, but we're right here in the beginning of chapter four and verse one, and I've gave it a unique title is kind of a study by itself many parts of revelation you can do that as you go through there uh so we'll name it specifically uh and then include the text where we're at so we kind of put it together but then you can pull it apart separate if you would like or whatever uh but the question that we're uh studying discussing thinking about is uh what happens when i die um, of course, I've mentioned it in the first one. Uh, the simple answer to that is one of two things. If you are saved, you go to heaven. If you are not saved, you go to hell. Uh, there are more detailed and specific answers uh, to questions that come up with that, um, such as, well, what about the Old Testament people when they died? What happened to them? If they believed or if they didn't believe, what about uh, while Christ was on living on Earth, um, or you know, what about right after He died? What about before the resurrection, or what? What about right before uh, the millennial reign, or after the millennial reign? What happens during uh, the tribulation? All of that. So we're going to try and answer as many of those questions as we can. <clears throat> I know there's always a lot when it comes to uh, people when they start inquiring about their future, their eternity, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, we started yesterday, uh, we read uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and uh, I'll read that verse again, but our text today, if you want to turn there, uh, is Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus, and it kind of gives us a little... uh, detail into what happens when someone dies, and and, and we'll get into that, but um, as a reference, and, and the, re- the reason we're discussing that is, is this verse uh, 1 in chapter 4 of Revelation. It says, now after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, immediately, when you think of uh, these terms that are used here, such as trumpet, and you think of uh, uh, come up hither, I will show thee things which must be hereafter, uh, immediately we're drawn to the events of the rapture and things that take place around the rapture. And we mentioned in the first uh, study that the word rapture itself is not mentioned as rapture in the Bible. Uh, There are other terms that it uses. And uh, uh, just to kind of reference what what we're looking at when it mentions that trumpet and to come up hither and and that sort of thing, uh, it it automatically ties into the passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and, and it's, it's, it's talking about the rapture of the church 
in that passage. Uh, Revelation chapter, I mean, uh, first, sorry, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen says, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren." And when it uses that phrase, he's not saying, uh, "I don't want you to be stupid." Uh, it's not a derogatory term. That ignorant is just not knowing. I, I would not. I don't want you to be unknowing. I'm, I'm going to tell you this so that you can know. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And of course, that means those that are dead. Uh, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And it's talking about those that died that are not brethren. Those that died without being saved. We don't have to sorrow. Now, of course, when people pass away, obviously we sorrow. We're going to miss them. Uh, there is going to be a period of grief, but in the end, we have hope. We'll see them again if we're saved. Verse 14 says, for if we believe that, and here's the key, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which, uh, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, bring with him, uh, which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. What's he talking about? He's talking about this moment of the rapture. Verse 15, for this we say uh, unto you by the word of the Lord. It's not based on their conclusion, but on God's word. It's not what Paul thought. It's not what Peter thought. It's not what Timothy thought. It's not what John thought. It's not what Matthew thought. It's not what Luke thought. It's what the Lord said. Thus saith the Lord. Okay, verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Now that's that phrase in verse 1 of chapter 4 in Revelation, uh, uh, that first voice which I heard, as it were, of a trumpet talking. So that's kind of referencing that. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. We're going to meet in the clouds before we actually go to heaven. Now, it's going to happen so fast. Uh, there, the, uh, the Bible mentions that it's faster than the twinkling of an eye. So, I mean, it's just going to be boof and we're going to be in heaven. But for a record of how things happen, those who are dead are going to be uh, uh, caught up first. And, that, and that's the term that uh, the uh, English Bible uses in the Greek in New Testament. Sorry. And uh, when it talks about the rapture, it's talking about caught up. That's what it's talking about. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So, uh, just as a reference of what the rapture means, what happens in the rapture, um, the question, when does the rapture take place? As a specific day, we don't know. Uh, it even says that the angels don't know. Christ doesn't know. Only God the Father knows. And when that day comes, he's going to tell the Son, go and get my people. I mean, just that simple. 
So Christ is going to descend upon the earth and he's going to give this shout as the voice of an archangel, like a voice of a trumpet. And it's going to awake those first that were dead in Christ, those that believed and have died and are buried. Okay? They're going to raise first and meet Christ in the air. And then immediately after that, those of us that are alive and believe in Christ will then be caught up and meet with them in the air, in the clouds, and then we all go to heaven. Okay, so that, that's the events of the rapture as it, as it happens. Now, as far as a timeline of when it happens, uh, it ends the church age. It starts, uh, well, I don't say it starts, but it ends the church age. And then the very next thing uh, to happen in the timeline is the tribulation period. And we'll get into that a little bit, but we're, let's turn our focus back on our question here. What happens when I die? Uh, the first uh, part, uh, the last episode we had, uh, we mentioned that uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the parts involved, um, the places, I guess you would say. Now, there are three realms, uh, three realms. There's heaven, there is earth, and then there is the underworld. Now, in part one, we talked about heaven. There are three heavens, the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven, the first heaven simply being the atmosphere around the earth. It's the air the birds fly in. It's the uh, atmospheric things that are a little bit higher up in, in, in each layer around the earth. Then there's the second heaven, which is basically outer space, uh, where the planets, the stars, the moon, the galaxies, and all that are. Then there's the third heaven, and this is basically the, the realm of heaven where God and his throne reside. Okay, when we mention heaven, we usually are referring to that third heaven. All right, then we talked about Earth a little bit. Today, we're going to focus on this term of the underworld, the underworld. And for reference, uh, where we were turning to, Luke chapter 16, and we'll read from verse 19 down to 31. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a certain, and, and let me start right off from this, many uh, Christ used a lot of parables in the Bible. And parables are an, uh, a simple meaning. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning to it. I've always used that, uh, heard that, and I thought it was a simple terminology for why God used parables. It's, it's an earthly story to explain things with a heavenly meaning. But, but take note that anytime you see that word certain, uh, and especially is it, when he's using a person's name um it's it's not a fable it's a true story a certain man there was a certain man and there was a certain beggar in verse 20 named lazarus i mean he's giving you his name this is a story of about a, a rich man well we're not given his name it's because it's not important uh i mean it is important but not as important here as what the focus of the story is is on lazarus okay so uh, that's just a small note to keep in mind. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen 
and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a, excuse me, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. <laughs> two quite distinct, different tales of two stories there. It reminds you of the tale of two cities there with uh, Charles Dickens' classic. <laughs> uh, and that's basically what this is. It is a tale of two, not only two cities, but two results, two eternities, and two souls. Uh, verse 23, And in hell he lifted up his eyes. This is the rich man. Uh, being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. This rich man, it says he died and right away he went to hell. And from hell, he could see Abraham and Lazarus from where he's at. Very strange. Verse 24, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Very revealing passage here. Note that he spoke to Abraham. He said something to Abraham and he's already in torment in this place that he's in. Now verse 25, notice this. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in the lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Now this adds a little more to our story, uh, or our thinking here, in the fact that Abraham is able to converse with this rich man who is in hell. Interesting, okay. We'll we'll explain it all out, but just get an idea of what's what's tra transposing here, transfixing, or being said. Um, <clears throat> verse twenty six, and this is a big clue here. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. All right, verse 26 says there is this great gulf fixed. All right, so what do we know so far? All right, this is the story of two people. They both die with two distinctly different uh, results. The poor man dies, and it says that uh, he was carried by the angels into what is called Abraham's bosom. The rich man dies, and he goes to hell. Now, he can see Abraham, he can see Lazarus, and he can speak to them. 
And Abraham responds back. But in responding back, he says, hey, we, we can't bring you this drop of water. Lazarus can't bring you this drop of water. There is a great gulf fixed between us. There's a separation. We can see, we can talk, but we can't reach each other. So the rich man says, okay, he realizes it's too late for him. So now he's thinking about his family. Verse 27, he says, well, okay. He said, I pray thee, therefore, that thou wouldest send him, being Lazarus, to my father's house. So he's assuming from this statement that Abraham is able in some way to send Lazarus back to his house. Verse 28, and he goes on and explains, For I have five brethren, five brothers, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So you see he's worried about his five brothers. Obviously, he is of the realization that his five brothers are headed right where he's at. Verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now that sounds kind of like a harsh response to a plea for help. What is it? I mean, we're we're basing this on on sentence structure and language as we know it today. But maybe Abraham's telling him it's not possible. I mean, if Abraham is able to send Lazarus back, okay, now we can understand, well, okay, maybe some of these things people see are ghosts, right? That would make that possible. But if Abraham is not able to send him back, then what people claim as, as being able to see things as ghosts uh, are, at least from what we know, not good. Nothing good. <laughs> uh, but he says, I can't send Lazarus back. Uh, he said, uh, they have Moses and the prophets. Now, it's obvious Moses has been long dead. And it's obvious that the prophets have been long dead. What is he basically telling him? He says, hey, they have the scripture. They have the word of God. That's all that's necessary. That's all they need. Now, in verse 30, the rich man responds, and he, sa and he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. They will repent. Now, that's quite a statement. Uh, does he know his brothers so well that he knows how they would choose uh, or that he, he knows them well enough to know that they would change their and alter their lifestyle? He, they would see the light, as we say, or whatever, uh, if somebody raised from the dead and spoke to them? Now, think about it. He's speaking of Lazarus. This is a poor beggar that sat out in front of his gate awaiting scraps from his table. This rich man never paid attention to him when he was alive. Okay? Never paid attention to him when he was alive. What's going to be different if he comes back to his brothers? Verse 31, uh, Abraham responds. And he, says, and he said unto him, the rich man, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Neither will they be persuaded, 
though one rose from the dead. Now, I know, because I, I've thought about it a lot myself, in saying, you know, if I'd lived in the times of Jesus, uh, you know, when he was there, I think it would have been easier to be a Christian. <laughs> I think, you know, if, if we lived in the Old Testament times when they had to follow the law, you know, maybe it would have been a little bit easier to be a Christian. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. You know why? Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within the with inside of us today. We have it far better than any of them had it. But th there's something in that verse uh, 31 that just kind of rings true. Uh, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We think some drastic uh, miracle uh, is going to save the world. We we think some great sign, some great wonder is going to uh, reinvigorate and revive this entire world. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. The greatest thing that has ever happened has already taken place and only a handful of people even noticed. A virgin gave birth to God in the flesh. He walked as God in a cloak of human flesh on the face of the earth for over 30 years. There were multitudes that followed him. Get that, multitudes that followed him. He had 12 disciples. And when he was killed, even the 12 disciples turned on him. Did they not? It said they were hiding up in the, up in the uh, second in the upper room, um, and then when he arose and come before them, um, I, I have the study on here. Uh, what is the difference between uh, nail scarred and nail pierced? There's quite a difference, and it's actually pretty relevant when it comes to Jesus Christ. But basically, when he arose. And and came back and, and shown himself to them, and they didn't even realize it was him. Uh, that, that's quite a statement there. This was one who rose from the dead that they knew personally. And yes, I mean, they did respond, but he's saying, hey, if even if Lazarus came up from the dead and went and spoke to them, if they don't believe Moses and if they don't believe the prophets, they're not going to believe Lazarus. Okay. All right, so that's our text. All right, now let's get into breaking this down and see what we're going to uh, cover. All right, now we're our topic here is the underworld. We've talked about heaven. We've talked about earth. And now we're talking about the underworld, the underworld. Now, the realm of the underworld as it is uh, contains uh, five separate, uh, let's call them chambers for lack of a better definition five places, if, if you want to go with that. Um, the first one there is paradise. The second one is hell. Uh, it's also referred to as the first hell because there is a second one. This is the first hell, but we'll just call it hell. Uh, the third place is Tartarus. That's T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. Tartarus. Tartarus. Uh, the fourth place is the abyss also known as the bottomless pit, the abyss. 
And then finally, the fifth place is the Lake of Fire, uh, which is also called the second hell or the final hell. So there's hell and then there's the Lake of Fire. All right. So these are the different uh, chambers, different areas of the underworld. All right. Now, when dealing with the underworld, um, the first thing we're going to do is basically talk about human beings. Okay, there, there, there's different things that happen in the underworld uh, with human beings. Now, human beings are made up of a body and a soul. A body and a soul. And we'll briefly, uh, briefly talk about uh, each one of those. We're going to really get into detail on the soul, but and we'll just kind of cover the body for a little part because there's actually more information on it as we go through it. Uh, we'll break down the different chambers and it'll it'll it kind of come together for you, okay? It, there's no really finesse way to do this. So we kind of hit here, hit there, and then come back and hit here a little and go back and get there to tie it all in together. <clears throat> all right, the body. All right, obviously, uh, when we die, our bodies uh, are placed in a grave. In uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 22, tells us here, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. All right, now the stark contrast again here is that the soul, uh, the saved poor man's soul is said to have been taken by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Obviously, his body wasn't. Uh, this would have caused quite a stir if the body just disappeared. Maybe not a huge stir because he was a beggar, but it's known uh, that the man died, and then his bosom was taken, or his soul was taken to Abraham's bosom, all right, while the rich man's body is just buried. That's all we're told about it. Now, the word grave uh, is the Hebrew word uh, keber, keber, that's Q-E-B-E-R, keber, and it basically means a sepulcher or a burying place. That's a pretty simple definition there. Uh, now, this is the present location of the bodies of most dead humans. Okay? The grave is the present location of the bodies of most dead humans. Now, of course, there's exceptions to that rule. Uh, many would be uh, those who died at sea, uh, those who have died in the desert, uh, those who have died in a mountain avalanche, um, those who have died in battlegrounds where, you know, they couldn't come back and bury the dead. Uh, maybe the body, uh, bones just got scattered, the remains got scattered, the animals got to them, uh, whatever that case may be. But generally, most bodies are placed in a grave from the beginning of time, uh, with one exception. With one exception. That being in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51 and 53. Now, you want to talk about a very unique event that is so overlooked in the Bible not many people read this or realize that this is in the Bible. Uh, we, we, we talk, especially this time of the year, Easter, we talk about, you know, Jesus you know, died, buried, uh, third day he rose and ascended to heaven. Uh, there was great rejoicing among the, uh, the followers of Jesus. You know, the great multitudes that followed him, we never hear from them again. Uh, most of them probably were ones there that were just looking for uh, to get fed, to see a miracle and have a show. Um, and then they're, they're probably the ones that were yelling, crucify him there at the trial anyway. But here is a strange uh, and odd story. 
here in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51 through 53. <clears throat> now it says, Jesus, this is towards the end of the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. This is the moment Jesus allows himself to die. I started to say Jesus dies, but it's unique in the fact that Jesus had to allow himself to die. Remember, this is God in the flesh. Death has no control over God. God had to will himself to die. It's not just the mere fact that God came to earth and died for us. He had to will himself to die. <laughs> it's just strange. It's crazy. Now, uh, verse 51, it goes on and it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, rent in two, from the top to the bottom. That's very symbolic. Remember, this veil in the temple separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. No man could enter the Holy of Holies. But when he died and shed his blood for us, that veil could be removed because he became the go-between uh, between humankind and God. We no longer needed a tabernacle. We no longer needed a temple. We no longer needed a high priest. He became our high priest. God rent that curtain and he rent it from the top to the bottom to show that it was God in control doing that. Um, uh, continuing on. And the earth did quake. There was a major earthquake. And the rocks rent. Rocks busted apart. They were just torn apart. Now here's the, cra here's the crazy part of this. Most people just read right through this and don't even stop and think, wait a minute, what did that just say? Verse 52. And the graves were open. Okay, there's an earthquake. Obviously, ground cracks open. Graves are open. Wait a minute. The graves themselves are open. Not the graveyards. The graves are opened. And then it goes on and it says, And many bodies of the saints which slept, which were dead, arose. Say what? <laughs> Do you get that? And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Now, the first thing that crosses your mind, because I know how it is in this day and age of uh, TV, we always associate it with something we see on show, and immediately you're thinking of the walking dead. Oh, Lord, I did not know the Bible talked about zombies. These are not zombies. The This is a resurrection event. These people were raised from the dead. And you're saying, well, how do you know that? Look at what it says, verse 53, continue the story. And came out of the graves after his resurrection. So we just read Jesus when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. At that point he died. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, stopped by the earth did quake, the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of saints which slept arose and came out of the graves. Hold it. Keynote after his resurrection. His resurrection took place first. He arose first. Then they arose. So from what point the graves busted open to the point when the bodies arose, it, it, it's not clear. It doesn't specifically say. All it tells us 
is that when those bodies came up, it was after Christ arose first. Now, here's how we know they weren't zombies. Continue verse 53. And it says, And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, what a strange uh, sequence of events we've just read about. Now, note, 53, in being descriptive, okay, um, and we've talked about this before, Luke is a very detail-oriented person. Matthew kind of likes to generalize. But Matthew tells us here that these bodies of these saints very specific there. Many. That's very specific. Doesn't say all. It says many bodies of the saints. That means people who believed in God and accepted him as their savior. Many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared appeared unto many. That's another key. It doesn't say that they talked with anybody. It doesn't say they had news for anybody. It doesn't say, I bring you news from Grandma Moses, uh, you, know, you know, and it, it's still in the grave and she wants you to do that. There's none of that. All it says is they saw them. They appeared unto many. Many people who were alive in that day saw these bodies. Now, I do believe, and I, I do think there's a precedence in it, that their bodies and their souls were reunited. I think it's possible that they talked with family members or, or people in there. Um, who were the many that they would have appeared to? It, it would have made no point for them to be a stranger and appear to someone un unless there was some significant uh, thing to view that re that those people in the city recognized that they had been dead. Uh, whether they had dirt all over them, I don't know. People in mourning and in, uh, would cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes, so I don't think that's enough. Uh, for a stranger to just appear, that wouldn't have caused much news. Uh, but if you lived in town and say Uncle Bob had been dead for 30 years, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, you look and there stands Uncle Bob. Uh, that's going to ring a bell. That's going to draw your attention. That's something you're going to go and tell people about. So when it says that they went into the holy city, obviously Jerusalem, and appeared unto many, I think that many of them saints were recognized. Many of them people were recognized by the people they appeared to. Okay? So what a strange thing to happen there. Okay, so now this talks about the body a little bit. Now let's turn our focus to the soul. Now this is a much different uh, uh, part of us. Uh, actually, it's the most important part. Uh, the body, uh, the, the Bible is clear to tell us that our body is basically just a shell that we live in. It's temporary. Our soul is what is permanent. <clears throat> our soul is what is uh, critical. It's important. All right, now when we talk about the soul, obviously uh, there's two separate places uh, generically that we can go. And that depends on the condition of our soul. Um, the first would be that of a saved soul. A saved soul. 
And then, of course, the second would be that of uh, an unsaved soul. An unsaved soul. So we'll, we'll talk about the saved soul first and, and, and how these places and events would, would pertain to what happens to us when we die. All right. Now, there are several conditions to uh, look at concerning a saved soul um, because over time, since the beginning of, of when God created the original earth uh, to when the rapture takes place, uh, things have changed. Uh, for instance, uh, from the moment of Adam to the time of Christ's resurrection, things were different from Christ's resurrection to his ascension into heaven, and then from his ascension uh, into heaven uh, till the time the rapture takes place. There are souls uh, in different locations. Okay? All right. So, now, souls of the believers at the very moment of death went to hell. <laughs> You're like, whoa, wait a minute, what? No, now, remember, there's two different kinds of hell. And there's two different kinds of paradise. I mean, I'm sorry, there's two different kinds of hell. We'll leave it at that. But I, we use the English word hell, but in the Bible, it has different meanings, okay? The Hebrew name is Sheol. Now, Sheol is, uh, uh, by definition, a generic term for the world of all the dead. Uh, as of a subterranean retreat. Now, when I say retreat, I know what you're thinking, like a, a Caribbean retreat. No, subterranean retreat. A place of set aside, not, not a place of enjoyment for, for many. <clears throat> now, it does include uh, accessories. It does include inmates. Um, it includes, includes the grave. It includes hell. It, uh, it's basically um, paradise and what we call hell put together. Okay, but by definition of biblical terms, a saved believer at the very moment of death, um, from Adam's time to the time of Christ's resurrection, they went to this place that we generically call. Uh, <laughs> I know it just doesn't sound right, does it? Okay, L listen, for sake of clarification, they went to paradise, just as it says of Luke's thing here. I'm not, I'm not going to confuse you with that. Abraham's bosom and the term paradise are the same. Abraham's bosom and paradise are the same. Now, the other side is hell. Okay, so I'm not going to tell you that saved people, when they died before uh, Christ's resurrection, they went to hell. That that just doesn't even sound right. But, it, it, but we're talking about specific definitions of terms here, okay? So, the Hebrew word sheol, okay, uh, is, is the word hell throughout the entire Old Testament, and it always refers to Sheol, okay? Sheol is this whole containment section together that we learned about here in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Sheol contains paradise and hell. So that's what I mean when I say, when I first said that about souls of the believers that believe went to hell, not, not the hell side. They went to the paradise side, but in containment is Sheol, and a lot of times the translation of the word hell has become Sheol, but that, that's not uh, a good way to explain it, okay? So maybe I better jump off of that. And go, I don't want to confuse you. All right, now, <clears throat> uh, in our word hell, 
the Greek name is Hades. Hades. Uh, that means the unseen. Uh, uh, for example, Hades, or the place of the departed souls. So in the Hebrew, the name is Sheol. In Greek, it's Hades. Uh, and in, in, in the English term, uh, over time, it has become what we call hell. And, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. Um, but again, we're talking about the time period from Adam up to the moment of Christ's resurrection. There was a paradise side and there was a hell side. Okay, just to clarify, right now they're, they're, that paradise part no longer exists. I don't even know if that great gulf exists there because that whole chamber with those two sections, paradise and hell, are both basically hell today. That That's why we say when people die, and if they don't believe, they go to this hell. But But that's not the whole truth. Okay? Now, just its definition of terms, basically. Now, in the Old Testament, these two terms, Sheol, Hades, are used to indicate the location of all departed human spirits between death and resurrection. This term is rarely used in the New Testament in this way. It usually represents the location of the unsaved departed souls. Okay, Psalms 9, 17 says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now, that's simple for us to understand that that's a bad hell. Okay, Psalms 139 and verse 8. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, that's the paradise side, behold, thou art there. Uh, Jonah chapter 2 and verse 2. <clears throat> and he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest, heardest, heardest my voice. That is the good side of hell, the paradise side. Jonah had died. A lot of people think he was in some state of suspension, whatever it is. Jonah died. How else would the Lord hear him out of the belly of hell? Why would he have departed? Okay. <clears throat> now, two names, paradise and Abraham's bosom. Uh, now, here in Luke 16, 22, we hear that. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom. Now, later on in this same book, Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, we learn the other term for this part of the chamber. And it's when Jesus is on the cross and he's talking to the thief. And he says, and Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about this chamber, paradise, where the souls of the believers went. All right. Easton's Bible Dictionary uh, makes this statement, and I quote, Abraham's bosom refers to the custom of reclining on couches at a table, which was prevalent among the Jews, an arrangement which brought the head of one person almost into the bosom of the one who sat or reclined above him, not on top of him, but next, like 
further higher up the table, you know, your position at the table is what he's talking about. To be in Abraham's bosom thus meant to enjoy happiness and rest at the banquet. All right, so the term Abraham's bosom uh, was what they used to help people understand what was this stuff going on in this great chamber, okay? Um, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and, and that's what it is, that Abraham's bosom was a way for them to simply explain what he meant by paradise, and, and they would understand based on what their minds could con conceive, what they could conceive, what they could understand. Okay, now the second period. From Christ's resurrection to his ascension into heaven. <clears throat> you remember, now it says he, he had uh, died for three days and he arose. Now, once he arose, he did uh, walk among his disciples for a couple of days. So there, there's kind of a, a period of what, 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 what do we do? Do we fall back to the days of when Abraham, uh, you know, the one we just talked about from, from the day that, from the days of Adam to the time of his resurrection? Uh, or, is, or, or, you know, do we jump to the time of, of from the resurrection to the, the rapture? You know, th there's a specific time. And, and things happen here. Listen, Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, 53. We just read that. Remember that? It said that uh, when he cried, he died. There's this earthquake. And then these people <laughs> come up out of these graves. <clears throat> The key there, remember, after Jesus arose, after his resurrection took place first. Again, the key is many. Now, who are these many saints? Uh, we don't know for sure. They're not named. How, how could you possibly know for sure who they were? Now, there is some speculation uh, on who they could be, um, and, and that's basically all it is, but I, I'll tell you what, uh, some people say it is. Uh, some believe it was those who had lived during the time of Jesus uh, and had come to believe on him and had died before Christ did. Okay? And, and, and remember now, he I mean, he uh, lived for 30 years. He preached for, say, about three years. Uh, and during that time, uh, people were still being born. People were still dying. Uh, and, and he had an effect on a great number of people. And it, it's obvious that in that time, some of them could have died while Jesus was on earth preaching. You know, so what happened to them? And, and that's what we're getting at here. Uh, that, that some believe, that speculate that these um, many of the bodies of the saints refers to uh, the ones who died during his uh, preaching, during his sermon days. Uh, now, <clears throat> The raising of the bodies was an action that was performed as proof of the resurrection that Jesus had preached to them. It was a sign for the Jews. It wasn't a sign for the world. It wasn't a sign for the Gentiles. It was a sign for the Jews. Now, what a great testimony and a witness they must have been. Uh, yet still, there were many who doubted. Now, you remember what I read you there in Luke when he said, hey, uh, send Lazarus back to witness and and and." Uh, Abraham tells him, he says, hey, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't hear him, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. 
and you think, well, somebody appeared to me from the dead, I'd sure believe it. Oh, yeah? Well, look look at some of the things that happened here during during this event. Now, this is when Christ arose and, and appeared to many, okay? And when these bodies arose out of, the saints arose, arose and appeared to many. Well, first of all, let's look at the 11 disciples. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 17. And when they saw him, when they, the 11, saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. After they had walked with him and heard what he preached, heard what he teached, there were still some doubters. There's always going to be those doubters. Uh, again, the 11 disciples in Mark chapter 16, verse 11, and then verse 13 through 14. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, Mary, believed not. Verse 13, and they went and told it unto the residue, the remaining, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So he kind of chewed them out. <laughs> and how about this one? How about the two men on the Emmaus road? Luke chapter 24, verse 21 uh, verse 24, and then later verse 31 through 32. <laughs> we're kind of jumping around because we're going to run out of time anyway, but uh, we'll get as far as we can. Uh, Luke 24, verse 21, But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And verse 24, And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And verse 32 says, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And basically, uh, What's going on here is uh, Jesus appeared to them, and they're already discussing the things that are going on. And he says, hey, what's going on? He says, hey, have you not heard what's going on? I mean, where have you been? <laughs> I, I mean, this is like uh, top headline news of the whole region. Um, and as as he kind of inquires, you know, he's kind of letting them explain the story to him and tell him uh, things as they knew it and, and, and heard. Um they basically tell him, well, you know, that, you know, the sepulchre's empty. And some of the disciples we know, they went and saw it, but it was empty. But but they didn't see him. They didn't see him. And they're kind of hinting that, you know, that would have been important to us. Without seeing him, there's no way we could believe. So we don't believe it either. But yet, when he opened their eyes, and as soon as he opened their eyes, he disappeared. And then they're looking at each other saying, you know, our hearts burned within us. We knew we knew it was him, but yet we just didn't want to say it. We knew it was him. <clears throat> Again, the 11 disciples in Luke, same chapter, 24, verse 37, verse 41, verse 44, and 45. Verse 37 says, but they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. When Jesus appeared to them, it scared them to death. They thought he was a 
ghost. Not the Holy Ghost, but a ghost, a spirit. Verse 41. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? In verse 44, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. They just didn't want to believe it until he made them, uh, allowed them to see it. And really, it was their own um, <clears throat> lack of faith is what it is, lack of faith. Then uh, there's Mary Magdalene, John chapter 20, verses 14 through 16. <clears throat> and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Now, Mary Magdalene personally knew Jesus. How could she turn and look back and see Jesus and not recognize him? Hmm. Verse 15, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, <laughs> said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabbani, which is to say master, or Rabboni. Now there's a lot of good preaching in that. Uh, in verse 14, it says she turned herself back. She doubted. And then verse 16, she turned herself. Now, she didn't save herself, but it was the lack of faith. She had the lack of faith, and then she found her faith. That's a key. <clears throat> All right. Um, going on to the next uh, section. At the moment of Christ's ascension into heaven, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He led captivity captive. What does that have to do with what's going on? Very important. The captivity captive tells us he took the many souls of the saved from paradise, along with their resurrected bodies into heaven with him. Okay? When he ascended, verse uh, 8, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, that's Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he led captivity captive. Those who had their souls trapped, if you will, in paradise, he took with him. He took all them souls and went with him. And then those that had arose, uh, uh, that had resurrected in their bodies, he took them with him too. And then it says it gave gifts unto men. Now this is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> um, so uh, he had said that, that he had to leave so that another may come, which uh, the comforter may come. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, certain characteristics that are given by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation and then perfected as part of the growth cycle of a Christian are called gifts. 
And it's mentioned in uh, the book of Corinthians. I think it's what, 2 Corinthians 11? I'm trying to remember this stuff off the top of my head here. I'm trying to find it real quick. Uh, someone there talks about the gifts. Uh, it might be 1 Corinthians. Yeah, I think it is. Anyway, uh, you can look it up. Paul really breaks down uh, the thing about the gifts. Spiritual gifts that are used. 1 Corinthians 12. There we go. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 12. All right. Now, the mention of the phrase, many bodies of the saints, indicates clearly that not all bodies of the saints, remember we've mentioned that, were resurrected and walked on the earth. Uh, <clears throat> but Ephesians 4.8 tells us that all the souls did ascend with him to heaven. So get this picture. Now, when when he res, uh, when he died, it said those graves were open, and then it said after he resurrected, many, not all, many of the souls joined their bodies on earth and resurrected, went into town, Jerusalem, and were seen of many. Okay, so now we've got people walking around on earth. We've got the souls of the other saints still in paradise, and when Jesus ascended. He took those souls that remained in paradise and he took those that had been resurrected and joined, rejoined their body and they all went to heaven. And so that chamber of paradise is no longer needed. And so that chamber that has hell and paradise with that great gulf fixed is probably all uh, hell contained together. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to stop right there. Uh, the next section just, just to kind of keep it in mind, it'll be from the time of Christ's ascension into heaven until the rapture takes place. That's that's the next portion of, of the timeline that we're going to talk about, okay? Um, look, it's almost been a whole hour, so I'm going to have to be short uh, to cut this off before it stops me anyway, whether I like it or not. But uh, <clears throat> I hope you're enjoying this. I hope I'm not confusing anybody. I, ho I hope I'm clarifying some things up. That That's the whole point of doing this. Uh, but certainly I ask you to pray about it. Ask God to uh, open your heart, open your mind, uh, and, and allow it to be easily understood and to help me to explain it in a way that you can understand it. He, he has the power to do that. Uh, and that is my goal here to help you have a better understanding. Uh, many of this you may know, some of it you may not know, some of it you may not have ever heard of. <clears throat> so that's why we're bringing it out. So that when somebody asks you what happens when I die, then you'll know. Okay? All right. So thank you for joining me. And I hope to uh, have you join me on the next episode as we continue this study. God bless you. Thank you.